Good morning, everyone. If I've not met you, my name is Dan Knust. I'm the high school pastor here at the church. Pastor Dan has taken a week or so, and he and Liz and Stephen have heading out to Indiana to visit their other son, Jonathan. So we'll be, Tanner and I will be covering the church, so don't let anything bad happen. Everything's going to be quiet. Remember, we're high school and junior high guys, so you've got to keep that in mind, okay? But anyway, I'm glad you've joined the family for worship this morning. Like I said, if you're, if you're um, new to the church, please come back. Tanner will be carrying a message for a couple weeks as well. And um, just know one thing's for sure. It's like I talked about last week. We're always humble that we have the opportunity that Pastor Dan would trust us enough to fill this pulpit for a Sunday or two. And, um, and I was thinking about this earlier, and this kind of has not really a little bit to do with my message, but not much. The one thing I can always rest assured of is this. You guys didn't come to hear from me this morning, did you? We came to hear from God, didn't we? We came to hear from God, and we have the opportunity to do just that this morning. Is we live in a country where we have the freedom and the liberty to where we can stand up and use our out loud voice, and we can talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to do here this morning. So I pray that you get something out of this, that this is usable, that God can help minister to your heart. Because like Tanner prayed about earlier, we've all got a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of things in our own personal life, but in the world that are very challenging. So I pray this morning that you would find this to be a help. And everybody say hi to Corey in the back of the room, because he hates that. Corey's our tech guy in the back of the room, and Corey let me know last week, I'm going to do this on purpose. I got way over here outside the camera frame, and we're doing a live streaming thing. So if we're live streaming right now, they can hear me, but they can't see me, which is kind of cool when you think about it. <clears throat> so I'm going to do my best to hold tight right here this morning, which I'll fail miserably at, because Corey's been dealing with me since junior high. I think he's got three kids now, and he's been putting up with me for a long time. So I will do my best, Corey, to stay within the frame shot this morning as I'm, as I'm yakking about this message, because I was videotaped the other day. This, I'm just sharing this stuff with you guys. A friend of mine who is a college student, I was talking to someone across the way, and they sent me this video of me talking to someone, and I was confirmed that if I, somebody ties my hands together behind my back, I can't talk. <laughs> so I can't put my hands in my pocket. I'm not calm. Tanner's Calm, cool, and collective, not me, So, but it works, so I'll pray God uses it this morning. Okay, this morning what I want to talk about is this. I want to talk about goats, not the four-legged critters, but the two-legged people. I want to talk about goats, greatest of all time. It's, kept, it's caught my attention. There's a, been a ton of books that have been written on this subject as far as athletes go, this kind of thing. And it sort of rung in my ears because we watched a movie last Wednesday night called Togo with the junior high and high school students out on the lawn. We did an outside movie. And I guess Time Magazine or somebody in 2011, they said that Togo was the greatest animal of all time. So it kind of triggered this thought in my head, the greatest of all time, goats. Jim Gray wrote a book recently about goats, and what he, if you don't know who Jim Gray is, if you don't follow sports at all, Jim Gray is a sportscaster, interview, sports writer. He's done a, a ton of interviews, been around for a long time, and has a very good reputation. But Jim Gray writes about people like Ali, Jordan, Tiger, Kobe, Hank, for those of you that may not be as long as the tooth as I am, that's Hank Aaron, Brady, and Jim Gray also writes about his dad at the end of the book, who he figured feels like is one of the greatest of all time. So when you look at this idea of greatest of all time, it wasn't just Jim Gray's book that caught my attention. It was actually another book that caught my attention on this as well. But what stood out to me as I started putting these thoughts together, I thought, you know what's really weird is, or what's unusual, is everybody in the room who follows sports, and some that don't even follow sports, know that person I'm talking about by one name, right? Ali, Jordan, 
Brady. Listen, I'm, when you bring Brady up, I'm not sure who decides he's the greatest of all time, but somebody did, okay? And I don't know who that is, but somebody did. He's a great athlete. But we also know people who go by one name. Because, see, I believe if you've got one name that you can be recognized by, you've either been someone great or done something great. And we think about Jesus, Paul, Moses, Luke, Peter. The list goes on and on, doesn't it? We have people that we know by one name as Christians who have not, who've done great things and have been great people in the kingdom of God. But what I want to do this morning, the second book that caught my attention on this, I want you to turn in the New Testament to the book of Matthew, because Matthew is where I want to spend some time. Matthew chapter 18 this morning is where I want to camp on this thought of greatness. But I want to know this morning, because I do often think about who determines what stats make an athlete great, or what does something somebody do, who determines that person to be great? Well, what I want to look at this morning in the book of Matthew chapter 18 is I want to see what Jesus says about being the greatest. I want to see what Jesus says about these things in Scripture that we'll look at this morning in chapter 18 of Matthew. But I want to give you just a little bit of background. This is actually the fourth discourse or fourth major teaching that Jesus gives us in the book of Matthew. There's five in total. And this is really hard because this one really stood out to me because when I study theologians and commentaries on this, I didn't see this within this scripture when I first read it. But I'm hoping that somewhere or another this will rise to the surface because this discourse is known as the community discourse. And I thought, well, the things we're going to talk about this morning, what's that got to do with community? But as always, when we dig into Scripture and we start to study it, it will rise, I hope, to the end of this. I'm able to, in my own human frailties, able to bring this forward and bring this idea out. But what Jesus is doing here is he's given us a basic de demand for the life of a believer that involves a completely new standard of what we're going to be looking at. Because in the world, people's greatness is determined by wealth, Power, prestige, name recognition, all these different things, right? The kingdom of heaven that Jesus is going to talk about this morning has nothing to do with that. It doesn't have to do with power, prestige, greatness, money. All these things don't matter. They just don't matter when it comes to the kingdom of heaven and who's going to be greatest. So I want us to look this morning, and I want us to look at this, and I want us to see who Jesus says and how Jesus says you can be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because it's not just one person that gets that. You're going to see as we read through this scripture this morning, and I'll be reading out of the ESV this morning, that the disciples are still struggling with this idea of what the kingdom of heaven is about. They're still fighting over who's the greatest and who's doing what and who's going to be in this position and that position. They miss the whole thing. See, they still believe that Jesus is going to be a political Messiah, that he will overthrow Rome. And that is not what he came to do. He came to be a suffering servant and our Savior. He came to seek and save that which is lost, he said. So as I read this this morning, I want you to know that we are saved by grace. We don't do anything to earn our way into heaven, but we do have responsibilities and we do do things in regards to not doing to earn, but for doing because of what's been done, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. But we're going to find these disciples still fighting over this. But I, I like last week when I talked about Habakkuk, remember when we talked about Habakkuk at the front end? He was praying and asking God what's going on basically. His eyes were on the horizontal. His eyes were on the landscape. They were not, he did not have an eternal perspective. And I think we see the disciples basically being the same way this morning. They have an eternal perspective, or a horizontal perspective, a temporal perspective, and they don't have an eternal one. 
And that's why they miss what Jesus is doing. So this morning, as I go through this, keep Christ in mind. Glance down at the ground. Look at what we're doing horizontally because the world's going to tell you there's a certain way to be great. I don't care what the world tells me. I want to know what Jesus says about being great. And we're going to find out that right now as we read Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. And again, the English Standard Version is what I'm reading out of. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you... Now listen to this. These are Jesus' words. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never inherit the kingdom of heaven. Who, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to tie a great millstone, fasten it around his neck, and be drowned in the depths of the sea. I love kids. I spend a lot of time working with students and little bitty kids along the way. And uh, this one here landed on me. And there's things that I've learned in this that I had no idea in the context of what we were looking at. But there's three things I want to pull out of this this morning. Number one is the conversation. The second point will be the contrast. And the third point will be the caution. The first one is the conversation. Verse 1, I want to read it again. At that time, the, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I want to give some context to this because this is unusual. We see the disciples asking Jesus a question. Let me put it this way. Have you ever been having a conversation with someone and there's somebody else standing nearby and you know they're listening, but you're kind of quietly having this conversation and you really don't want them to overhear and that other person goes, hey, psst, what were you guys talking about? Or I'm sorry, were you talking to me? I didn't hear you. I'm sorry, what did you say? See, in the book of Mark, in chapter 9 in Mark, it gives us the context of what's going on here. The disciples just didn't come up to Jesus and ask him, hey, Lord, who's the greatest in the kingdom? No, they were embarrassed because in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 and 34, it says this, in regards to this question that's being asked, the way Matthew describes it, Mark describes it this way. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, that being Jesus, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, but the disciples kept quiet because on the way they argued about who was the greatest. So this is not something that Jesus, he, he prompts this question. And the disciples are kind of sheepish. They're like, well, we kind of were wondering who's the greatest in the kingdom. Now go to, go to God today, go to Jesus, and just ask that question to him when we leave church today. Haughty, wanting to be prideful, wanting to know I want to be in charge, I want to be in control. Just go ask him that and see what kind of answer you get. Because that's the temperament what we see the disciples here. They're a little bit sheepish. They do not want to have this. They don't want to answer this question that Jesus asked them. The disciples were still caught up in this idea, this personal struggle of success and all these different things that were going on. And they were embarrassed. When we line up our motives, think about your life. When you line up your motives compared to Jesus' motives, how do they line up? And normally, we're a bit embarrassed. Because a lot of times we're selfish and our motives don't line up the way the Lord's do. He was completely selfless. It says at that time, what was going on when it says at that time in Matthew, Jesus has been, the Mount of Transfiguration had happened, he'd been healing people. He told the disciples that he was going to die, he was going to go to Jerusalem and die. Several times he told the disciples that, but they kept missing this whole thing. But that was what was going on. And this, this idea of who is the greatest 
is a topic that they argued about a long time in Scripture. They even argued about this, if you're not familiar with this, in the upper room at the Last Supper, the night before Jesus was going to be arrested, that same evening, later on that evening, they're still sitting around arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Don't miss this this morning as Jesus lays this out for us, please. This question may have been fueled by some of the stuff that was going on because Peter, James, and John got some special things going on. So I don't want to be too hard on the disciples this morning because I think we're similar in the same way to them. Because think about where they were at. They, Peter and James and John had been on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter had walked on the water. Peter had actually paid tax by a miracle one time, went out fishing. Jesus says the first fish you catch, reach in and pull out four drachmas, and that's where you'll get the coins from. So all of this had been going on. So in a sense, in a way, I can see the disciples wondering who's going to be the greatest because if Jesus is going to die, they heard him say he's going to die, and they're mistaken on the kingdom idea. You can see them wanting to get or being confused here and really trying to figure out Who's going to be the greatest? Because they needed an organizational chart. We all got jobs, right? Y'all know the, there's a general manager, there's a president, there's a vice president, there's a general manager, manager, assistant manager. That's what was going on here. And if Jesus is going to die, I can see Peter, listen, we need a chart. Because we got to know what's going on. And Peter probably instinctively thought, I'm the man. <laughs> you ever thought that at work? Listen, nobody else knows what they're doing around here. I'm the man. I am the greatest employee this company's ever had. We get haughty. James and John, sons of thunder, Jesus called them. And Mark chapter 10, <laughs> I love this. Listen to this. Teacher, they said, we want you to do whatever we ask. Try that in your next prayer. Lord, I want you to do whatever I ask. I'd just like to do that. And then it goes on to say, when the other 10 heard about this, when the rest of the employees heard about this, they were a little miffed. They became indignant with James and John, and Jesus called them together and said, Now listen, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, or to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen, you guys, I want to be real careful with this this morning. There is nothing wrong with being. Wanting to, wanting to have success, to be industrious, to be ambitious. There's nothing wrong with that. Go work hard as a Christian. See, I really believe as Christians, when we leave where we work, they should have to hire two people to do what we did. And here's why. Here's the problem. When we come, when we come ambitious and we come industrious and we become all of this and we start getting our eyes off the mark, when everything is about what I achieve at work, two things happen, I believe. One, I get my eyes off the one who gives me the ability to do what I'm doing. See, I really genuinely believe that. If you're in a career and you're good at it, God gifted you to do it. He should get the credit for it, shouldn't he? But when it becomes all about me, I get my eyes off the prize and I get my eyes off my Lord and I get in trouble. And listen, Here's another thing that I'll talk a little bit more about at the end. I really believe that when we get too industrious and we get too driven at work and we start becoming ladder climbers, guess where we fall off the ladder at? Home. And this is not a man and this is not a woman thing. This is not one or the other. It's both of you. Because ladies are driven by careers as well today and I think we missed the mark. When I worked at SLS, when I had another job before I came to work at the church um, years ago now, 
the, the one scripture that kept getting me through every day was Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, you work at it with all your heart, Dan. Working as though you're working for the Lord, Dan. Not for human masters, not for your boss. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. When you're working, you work your tail off, people. You work hard. Ladies, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you work way harder than your husband does. I know that. And you work hard, and you raise those kids, and you do not give up, but we never forget who we work for. Let's take a moment, though, shall we? Let's be the disciples for just a second. You're on the road, and you're arguing, having it out with each other, employees bickering, and the boss shows up. What are you guys talking about? Well, you know, nothing. Can you imagine, though, when the disciples actually said, we want to know who's the greatest in the kingdom. Do you think they went like this to Jesus? Don't you want to know? Be the disciples for a second. Think about that. The question was asked, don't you just want to know who's the greatest in the kingdom? Come on, you got Peter, James, John, all the disciples are there. Don't you think they were a little bit curious? <laughs> they had to be, didn't they? Leaned in, listening to what Jesus says. That takes me to my next point because I think it's interesting when you look at this, when Jesus gives us an example of who's the greatest in the kingdom. See, we know the answer, but the disciples didn't. They're all sitting around. They're in this house, and all of a sudden going into this, this question, it's like last week when, Jesus, when, when Habakkuk was praying, and God says, I'm going to do something you wouldn't believe it, but I told you you wouldn't believe it. I'm going to bring the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and I'm going to bring them in. They're going to wipe out Judah. And, and Habakkuk had to be like, What? It had to be similar here with the disciples, didn't it? Think about this. They didn't know what was going to happen, right? And Jesus says, okay, I'll show you who's the greatest. Here's the next thing. My second point is this, the contrast between the child and the disciples. And calling him, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, be a disciple for a second, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like, the, like children, you will never inherit the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's the answer. Disciples, whoever humbles themselves like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such of a child in my name receives me. See, his response when he brings this child in and he sits this child in the midst of him, his response makes it very clear to the disciples. <clears throat> this is not an organizational chart thing, fellas. This is not about power and prestige and money and success, or line up in the organizational chart. It has nothing to do with it. Jesus used this child for his self-centered disciples to make a point here. And the point is, we are not to be childish, <clears throat> arguing over petty issues. You recognize that in today's world? Recognize that at work? You recognize it at home? See, we're not supposed to be childish. We're supposed to be humble, and dependent with sincere hearts on the Lord. And that is being childlike. That's childlike. There's a statement out there, and I'm not arguing with the statement to having childlike faith. That's not really what we're getting at in this, in, but in the context of what this is. Nothing wrong with that statement, but the context in this is we're supposed to be childlike, which is humility, dependence on God himself. We are not supposed to be childish, which implies that's perpetual immaturity. If you're sitting in this room this morning and you're not in your scripture, I please hear me, okay? 
and you're not reading your Bible and you're not growing in Christ, that's being childish. We're supposed to be childlike, not childish. Childish is perpetual just not growing in the Lord and being selfish and grumbling and doing all these other things. It's a constant state of immaturity, but childlike for a believer is to be completely dependent on God for our needs. Are you? Which are you this morning? I'm not picking at you, but I want God to be able to search our hearts in here because I heard this. I was watching our Western Conference for the 3CU Church online earlier this week, and the speaker made a comment. God's not interested as much in getting you through the day as preparing you for eternity. So as you sit in here this morning, you realize God is in the middle of preparing you for eternity is what he's doing here. So are you being childish in your faith where you're not growing, you're not reading, you're not doing anything, you're perpetually just young? Are you being childlike where you really believe that you're absolutely dependent on the Lord? Here's how I know that these two things matter. 2 Peter 3.18 says this, Grow in the grace of, and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice, but grow. Grow in the grace of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5.12, the writer puts it this way, You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. How long have you believed in Christ? Think to yourself, how long? You should be teaching others as you walk about, at your house, at your job, teaching when asked. Everybody gets the opportunity to teach. So it says you should be, you have been believers for so long that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and you cannot eat solid food. See, when a child loses its teeth, they grow back. You've got to be growing, you guys. You've got to be in your word. You've got to be, especially in today's world, we've got to know the truth of God. We've got to be able to grow. And the first century role, too, as you look at the disciples with this idea of a child, servants and children were lowly. They were literally looked down upon. They weren't elevated like children are today. And being a, a good servant at work, they were not elevated. So again, the disciples had to be like, imagine Imagine whispering, what's he doing? What's he got the kid in there for? Right? Why would he be doing this? They're, they're, they're not even lifted up. But yet he says we should be like this child. See, a small child knows this. It cannot survive on its own. It'll never survive without its parents. Will you survive without your father? These things have landed on me this week as I read the scripture and I started looking at this. See, small children are very dependent they're also very needy. And this is where the idea of childlike faith and childlike, child being childlike, I think I was able to separate it because kids ask a lot of questions, don't they? If you're a dad in this room, you know what it's like when your kids be about two or three years old. Daddy, why? Daddy, why? Daddy, how come? Daddy, why? Daddy, why is this? And daddy, why is that? You're like, you ever think about what God's got to be like? Really? Dan, again? <laughs> daddy, but why is this and why is that? But they're dependent and they are needy and they have questions. That's being childlike. Now, if I can give you a little bit of comparison, I'm going to shift here just a little bit. Teenagers, not so much. Teenagers think they know it all, don't they? Teenagers don't think they need their parents, do they? I love being a high school pastor because I can all tell all those kids, I said, listen, without your parents, you don't have a clue. 
And I tell them just like that. I said, you don't have any idea how hard it is to be a parent and how much you need them and how much you should be dependent on them. <clears throat> and I even tell them, there are college kids in the room that know me, and I can say this with all boldness and all truth. I even tell them the same thing. You're not adulting if you're in college. <clears throat> you're still dependent on your parents. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the deal. See, what you see in the disciples, there's all sorts of different reasons this may be happening. Okay, this might be going on. They might be seeing different things and hearing about Jesus dying. But the bottom line is, those are the symptoms. That's what we see. What's causing this is this. When you look at a, look at a little kid who's dependent on their parent and then look at a teenager who thinks they've got it all figured out, who, more, who are you more like? <laughs> when it comes to God, do you think you've got it all figured out in your spiritual walk? Or are you a child where you need him and you know it? And you'll never survive without him. See, carnality, our sinful nature, causes us at its core root to be selfish. And that's what you see in the disciples when they want to know who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom because they want to know, I'm going to be the one in charge. Peter wants to know, I'm going to be the one that everybody's going to answer to. All you guys will have some power, but I'm going to be it. <clears throat> that comes from a sinful nature, from the selfishness of a carnal heart. And you see the disciples until the upper room in the book of Acts they live with this, this roller coaster in and out of this. That's why you see James in chapter 9 of Mark, God makes it, Jesus makes it clear, don't be, or you need to be childlike. In chapter 10, the sons of thunder, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do. See the difference? So I want you guys to realize the difference in here, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this at the end, but this, this, this issue is the heart. That's what's causing this. That's what the issue is. So Jesus tells them because of that, Jesus says, unless you turn, Unless you turn, be converted, have a change of behavior, you're never going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now listen to me. We are saved by grace and by grace alone. I'm not arguing and I'm not debating that, but I do believe that Jesus knows that if I have pride in my heart, I'm never going to make it. I'm going to have a tough time walking down that path as a believer if I've got pride in my heart. So what we're supposed to turn from here, I believe what you see we're supposed to turn from here is me. I'm supposed to turn from me to be childlike. You see, guys, that's a decision that we're going to have to make. This will not come naturally to you to be this way. This will not come naturally to you to be dependent on God. Because, see, we, get it, we live in a get-or-done environment, don't we? As Wyomingites especially, right? We're rednecks, most of us, right? We live in a get-or-done environment. I'm going to get her done. I'm not going to be dependent. I'm going to get her done, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. But when we get to the point where we realize we need a Savior... Then we step into the world of serving, and that's what the Lord is getting at here as well. To be childlike is to be serving. I, was, I had this thought. This is a little, I probably heard it somewhere because I'm not that bright to begin with, but I probably heard it somewhere. If I'm busy serving, I won't have time to worry about sin. See, if I'm busy serving others, I won't have time to worry about sin. I won't have time to worry about temptations because I'm busy serving who? The Lord. If I'm busy serving, I will not have time to be self-centered. How's your life look? Part of this is being humble, which is the next thing I want to talk about. True humility comes by denying yourself and to accept a position of servanthood and be completely dependent on God. See, that's what the Lord's getting at here. It's childlike is being humble. How humble are you? I want to give you guys a couple of definitions of hum humility on this. Colossians 2.3 says, lowliness in, of mind. That's what being humble is. A lot of people, you ever walked up and said, I'm one of the most humble people you'll ever meet. Really? 
I doubt that. I question that a little bit. Jesus is our example in this. So if I'm busy serving, I won't fall into sin and temptation because I'll be too busy serving. And if I'm too busy serving others, I won't become self-centered. That's following the, the pattern of the Lord. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but the interest of others. That's humility. Get your eyes off yourself and put them on someone else. I see a gentleman sitting in the back of the room. I heard him say that one day. What makes my day great is I take my eyes off myself and I put them upon others. Jesus is our example of this. In Philippians 2.8, it says this, And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. So you want to know how to be humble? Be obedient. It's not rocket science, is it? I, I want to be humble, then, but I don't know what to do. Be obedient. Be obedient to God. Be childlike. Be dependent. Be, hu be humble. Be a servant. Get busy working for God. That's what we're supposed to be doing in this part of the story. So that humility comes into place. True humility is, I heard it put this way one time, true humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. Oh yeah, I'm not that great and I'm all that in a bag of chips. I, I fight with that personally because I don't think I'm great. I don't even think I'm good at this to be very honest with you. And don't, you don't have to come up to me afterward and tell me I am. I just where I live. So I beat back this idea of thinking poorly of myself because I don't want to because it, humility is not thinking of yourself at all. True humility is really not even thinking about yourself whatsoever. Get over yourself. You're not that great. But to be great, we know what we do now. We're dependent. We're humble. We're childlike to be great in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is also, before I get into my third point, Jesus is also teaching here how we're supposed to welcome little children. See, he says, anyone who welcomes one of these little ones in my name welcomes me. That's where you see this attitude that he's got. When you're welcoming a little one, when you're welcoming a child, and you're kind and you're tenderhearted to your children or somebody else's kids, you're welcoming Jesus when you do that. But I want to make sure in the context of this, I want to be very, very clear on this because he's not talking about just little kids. He's talking about young believers. He's talking about a Dan Canoost when Dan was 38 years old and gave his life to Christ and didn't know up from down spiritually, didn't know anything about the Bible. I was depending on all you to help me draw close to God. Make sense? I remember sitting in a room with Carl Reimer and Lee Adamai and all these men that were just saints. And I was a brand new believer and I was trying to figure out what in the world does this even look like to be a Christian? And those guys helped me. They welcomed me in Jesus' name. They welcomed me into the family. But I know, you guys, it, when we look at this, it had to be awful hard for the disciples to identify with the child in this world because children were not, looked up, were not looked upon well. Children were pushed away, and children were demeaned, and so were servants. So I get this morning, you're going to be walking out here thinking, okay, what's it look like to be childlike, Dan? I get it. I'm supposed to be. But I look at my kid, and I'm like, really? And yes, really, because that child depends absolutely on someone taking care of it of him or her. That's what that child depends on, and we need to be like that with God, which leads me into my third point. Next, we see Jesus doing this. So we've talked about who's greatest and how to be greatest and how to be like a child and how to be humble, how to serve, how to welcome others, but Jesus gives us a caution, and I often think sometimes, sometimes I hear myself preaching to you guys, and I'm sharing information, and it seems hard, and it seems like I'm being too bold but these are Jesus' words here. In verse 6, we see the caution is my third point. 
But whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, to, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin or to stumble, it would be better for them to have a great millstone fastened around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. We got to take this serious, people, because you see this word stumble and sin go together. That's what the Greek word basically equates when you hear the word sin. It means causing someone to stumble. As I was doing this and I was working through this, I looked into Luke 17, verse 2, says this. Take heed. Watch yourself. See, these things, I take this very seriously with especially as much time as I spend with young people and little kids. Watch yourself. You better pay attention, Dan, and you better be aware that you do not cause one of these little ones to stumble and sin because you're better off to just tie a millstone around your neck and jump into the sea. Don't cause another to stumble. Please hear this this morning because I think this is, this is something that Jesus is very, very critical about. And I want to, I don't know quite how to say this, but I believe it's, I think it's something we're saying and I'll let God kind of reason it out with you. Paul, or Jesus is talking about believers here. He's talking about little children. He's talking about young believers or any believer really. But can I say that we shouldn't live our lives in such a way where we cause non-believers to stumble as well? Now, I use this as an excuse all the time when I would sit at the bar and on a, I would be slurping down the suds and I'd be sitting next to someone who was telling me about Jesus. <clears throat> I thought, well, if you know Jesus, you are in the same spot. I must be okay. Don't ruin your testimony is how David Jeremiah puts it. Don't let your testimony be destroyed by the way you behave in front of believers and non-believers. And in the context of this, again, I want to make it very clear. He's talking about your attitude of welcoming children of welcoming other believers. That's really the context of what's talking about here is that and that alone because that's back to that idea we shared at the beginning, the community discourse. How do we live with each other as Christians is what Jesus is getting at here. But I want to extend that thought just a little bit if you'll allow me to this morning with the Apostle Paul the way he puts it. In 1 Corinthians 8.13, he says this, so if, I, if what I eat causes a believer to sin, I will never eat meat as long as I live, for I do not want to cause another believer to stumble. Now, when he says, I will not eat meat as long as I live, he doesn't mean unless I'm at home by myself, I can have a steak. He meant never, because see, Paul, he so desired to never cause a brother or sister to stumble. And I can't help but wonder when Paul's pinning some of this, if he's not thinking over his shoulder when before Acts 9, when Paul was actually a terrorist and he was persecuting Christians. He was causing a lot of Christians to stumble back in those days. And I'm sure Paul remembers that as well. Paul also states it this way in regards to Christian freedom. In 1 Corinthians 10, 23, it says, Paul says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything but not everything is constructive. So we got to be careful with our Christian freedom. Martin Luther, Martin Luther puts it this way. On Christian freedom, he says, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. But a Christian man is the most dutiful servant to all, subject to all. See the difference? We think because we have Christian freedom and Christian liberty that we can do whatever we want as Christians. I'm listening to God. I can do whatever I want. But we got to understand... This idea is Christ, our Christian freedom is completely woven in together with Christian responsibility. We've got to be careful the way we live our lives, you guys. We're supposed to be um, upright and holy, 
sanctified, set apart. That's how we're supposed to live our lives. When we truly love others and serve others, we will be more concerned about their faith walk than about me doing something that I probably shouldn't be doing to begin with. Even if it's okay for me, I'm going to be more worried about somebody else. If you're in this room, I'll be saved 21 years this September. I gave my life to Christ 21 years ago, and I still remember, like I said earlier, what it looks like to be a new believer. I still remember how I looked at other Christians, and I found the green light or the red light in their life. How are you doing? How are you doing? Are you living your life causing someone else to struggle because, stumble? Because, listen, we all know this, and I'm going to state the obvious. Sin is not a private matter, is it? We all know we've been caught in our sin, right? And it always has a ripple effect, doesn't it? See, our sin is not a private matter, and we are better off to tie a millstone around our neck, Jesus says, than to do that. So I would say it this way. I know we're all being watched. People are watching us constantly, and I know you've heard me say this before. Here's what I would remind us to do as I wrap this up in this next few minutes. Your kids are not listening to you at home as much as they're watching you. Our kids are all pushed. They're either in their 30s or pushing their 30s, and I'm shocked when I hear them say, yeah, we remember seeing you do that or not doing that. And that had an impact on the way they live their life. So can we all agree this morning that we will be like Romans 14 or Romans chapter 14, verse 13, when Paul says this, so let's stop condemning each other. Remember that idea of community. Let's stop condemning each other and decide instead to live in such a way that you will never cause another believer to stumble or fall. Never. Now we're not perfect and we're gonna make mistakes but we should never, never intentionally do that. Why? Because Jesus makes it very clear that we'd be better, better off tying a millstone around our neck and jumping into the sea. And a millstone is huge. And it was certain death by drowning in the sea. But that's even better, Jesus says, as you go on and read the rest of 18, that's even better than the price we're gonna pay in hell if we harm one of these little ones. And we drive someone away from the Lord because of the way we're living our life and our Christian freedom, taking advantage of it, and not considering others as we walk, the Lord takes that very serious, you guys, and it's my job this morning, I was praying earlier that I remember Chris, the guy named Chris looked at us and when we graduated from Pessim as we became pastors, he commissioned me to preach and teach God's word in season and out. And I want you to know how serious Jesus takes this. And I'm telling you guys this because I love you and I think it makes a difference on how we live our lives that we do not cause another to stumble. When, I, when my kids were younger, um, when they were growing up in the home, I used to tell them as a dad, I said, I really believe you guys, God's gonna hold me accountable for what I do or don't do with you as you're growing up. See, I genuinely believe I'm gonna stand before God someday and God's gonna say, really, Dan, you did that? You knew better. You knew you shouldn't have done that. It didn't even, it might not even been considered sin in my life at the time, but it was not helpful for another believer for me to live that way. A lot of you guys have, a lot of you guys have heard me talk about I don't watch R-rated movies at the theater. Haven't for years because God convicted me on that a long, long time ago, way before the pastor days ever started. He convicted me, Dan, I don't want you watching R-rated movies. And I could take you to the spot where he told me that. And from then on, has it been easy? No. It's been hard. And I've had other people come up to me and go, well, aren't you just better than us? Huh? I'm going, no, I'm worse than you are. That's why I don't do it. Because God knew it wasn't going to be good for me if I kept living this way. It was going to trip me up and harm me. Now, I don't hold over any one of you who watch R-rated movies at the theater. That's between you and God. So we cannot be spiritually haughty about this. We got to be humble about this. It is, I, had a, I, I thought about it this way, too, because maybe 
I got I got I sound like Pastor Dan. I got to quit. <laughs> um, when my kids were growing up and they were teenagers, I was expecting them to be the type of Christian I was. I was expecting them to be as mature as I was as a Christian, and it wasn't fair. God hadn't talked to them about the things God had talked to me about. There's going to be people sitting in this room that God's talked to you about something maybe he hasn't talked to you about. Don't judge each other. Don't be critical. Don't cause each other to stumble because of your attitude. Pray for one another. Be kind to one another. Edify each other and build each other up. And do this. Bring your little children to Jesus. Because in Matthew 19, the disciples again were trying to keep the kids away from Jesus. And Jesus says, suffer the little children to come to me. Bring your kids to Christ. They need him. But when you bring your kids to Christ, guess where your focus is at as well? It's with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because your kids again are watching. We are not going to get what we want we will, by telling them we will get what we want by what we are. So I pray that God searches your heart heart this morning on this. Jess, if you would come up on the stage, I want to wrap up with this thought. I want to see if I can really make this clear. So Jesus says you can be great. He tells you you can be great, and he tells you how you can be great this morning. Do you want to be great? Think about it. Do you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Because if you do, it's going to cost you. You. It's going to cost you, you. It's going to cost you to die to yourself and let God purify your heart to where you can be great for the rest of your life. It's going to cost you, you. How do I know that? Because Paul says it this way in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. We've been bought with a price as Christians. A high price, Scripture says. But if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, I really believe it's going to cost you something. And that something is you. But it's up to you what you do with it. So Jessica's going to close in song, and then Tanner's going to come up and close us in prayer. But what I want you guys to do, I, are they just listening this morning? Is that the plan? Let's just sit and let God meditate on this, okay? Or God, we can meditate on this before God. Because I really believe this song, Fall Away, means something at the end of this because if we're going to worry about who's going to be the greatest and we're going to be prideful we're going to lose we're going to lose it we need to be humble and we need to be childlike and we need to be dependent on God and we need to make sure that we never cause another believer to stumble so what I want you to do for the next few minutes while Jessica is playing I want you to allow God to search your heart and this song is called fall away and I want you to really ask God what needs to fall away in my life so that I can be great in the kingdom what needs to fall away? What's harming me in my, in my own life? What's stumbling me up in my own life? What do I need to lay aside? And maybe this way, what do I need to lay aside, Lord, because the way I'm living my life, I know other people are watching me. And I know it makes a difference to you how I live my life. And I never, I want to be like Paul says, I never, ever want to cause another believer to stumble. But to do that, I need to let everything fall away. And my life has to be about God. I have to have died to Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jess?
Lord, this is this is a tough message to take in. And I'm confident that you are speaking to the hearts in this room. Because this is something that we all deal with. This is what uh, it's like to be a human. And that's why we can relate so well with the disciples. Though we might not be going around asking who's greatest in our lives and in our jobs and in our families. It's something that we deal with in our own hearts. And so we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for what you've given Pastor Dan to bring to us because this is an important message. This is an important lesson for us each to learn. And Jesus, your words cut straight through it all unless you change, you said. And so for those of us in the room who know that those words are for us, would you give us the power, give us the grace, and give us the strength and the courage to change and and to ask for help and how to change and to do the things that we need to do to be able to change. And ultimately, Lord, we know that the courage that we need is to fully submit to you and do what this song said and let, let you take away all those things that don't need to be a part of our lives, a part of our hearts anymore. We need pure hearts. That's what we're after. And so, Lord, give us that courage and, and help us to become once again like children and not in an immature way, but in a way in which we realize we can't do this. We can't do this without you, Jesus. Lord, we're dependent upon you. And we come back to that fact this morning. And we want you to reframe our minds and change the way that we've thought about our world around us and help us to see we are dependent. And it's good to be dependent on somebody who's trustworthy. And Lord, there's no one more trustworthy than a God who sent his son to die for us. Help us to find this, Lord. Help us if we are still searching for that purity of heart and if we're still searching searching for that heart that is not just weighed down by the worry that I have got to do all I can to be great, Lord. Let us be free from that. Help us to rely on you. And in every bit of our lives to walk with humility because we know we've just been given a gift. That's all, that's all that we are here to talk about, a gift that we've been given. Lord, we pray this and we ask for your help as we go. Be with each, every, each and every one of us wherever we're at along this journey to just give us confidence, confidence to do what we're supposed to do, confidence to lean into you and to seek you out because we know when we seek you out, we will find you. You're a faithful God. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming, everyone. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.